In the name of Allah, the most merciful and kind, you are about to listen to an audio representation of the life of the Prophet Muhammad. It does not replace a thorough studying of his life. Now, sit back and enjoy the show. The idol maker finished chiseling the fine stone. He blew away the dust and shavings to reveal a hand-sized statue in the shape of a man. The idol maker held up the little figure and turned it around. He smiled and added it to the sack of other idols, a bag full of gods. He held up the sack and turned to the child, his son. Boy, you know what to do. The idol maker's son took the sack hesitantly and nodded. Chapter 3. Gods for Sale If you had the coin for it, you could buy nearly anything at the markets of Mecca. On a regular day, there were several different markets in the city. Mecca was, after all, the trading capital of Arabia. But in the month of Ramadan, during the festival of the gods, the number of stalls, stores, merchants and bazaars seemed to triple. Traders and businessmen from all over the desert would gather in Mecca to sell nearly everything imaginable. Jewelry, gold and pearls! Get your necklaces and bracelets! Perfumes and oil! Hands for five dirhams! Five hands for twenty dirhams! Exorcisms! Possessed by a jinn, I shall remove all evil spirits. What a fear. There were tapestries and lamps hung up along the streets of the souks. Different stalls had multicolored canopies with merchandise hung up against tents and poles or displayed on tables and booths. Some markets were dedicated to livestock and mounts. I'll loan you 50 goats, and by the end of Shawwal, I expect 60 in return. This is a racing horse. I won't negotiate anything less than five golden goats. The saddle alone is worth 10 dinars. Brother, who do you think I am? The Caesar of Rome? Then there were the slave markets. I'll, I'll take the girl as a house servant, but I need a strong male for heavy lift. Final call for the Abyssinian and sold to the Yemeni trader for 86 dinars. Move, slave. Get go. Ah! Baba! No! Tailors and shoemakers set up shop not far from the busy roads that led to the Kaaba. Then, of course, was the Kaaba itself, dazzling and bold. The structure had been rebuilt only five years prior. It was draped in the finest fabrics that were embroidered in gold threads with the hanging poems, the greatest lines of poetry ever devised by the Arabs. To have your poetry sewn into the drapes of the Kaaba was the highest honor a poet could ever achieve. And so, through bustling crowds, musicians, snake charmers, and Abyssinian acrobats, the poets of Arabia competed with each other in battles of rhyme. No lion can defeat the warrior that is I. No wolf nor beast can qualify. Hey, step to my clan, I will cut off your toes. My Persian clothes stained rose when we cut off your nose. And finally, the idols. 365 statues all around the Kaaba. Naked people circled around the idols, whistling and wailing, clapping their hands, cheering the names of their gods. Oh, mighty Shams! Glory to Hubbard! Praises to the daughters of Allah! The priests and caretakers of the idols were busy on this festival making more money than all the other merchants combined. 
offerings to the god! Afraid your time will lose a battle? Give an offering to the god of victory! Is your woman pregnant? Make sure she doesn't give birth to a worthless girl by giving an offering to my dad. Divination, fortune telling. For a small price, I can tell you your future through the power of Allah and Al-Uzza. Animals were slaughtered at the feet of the giant statues, their blood smeared on the wooden stone as hungry beggars looked on longingly. Please, can you spare some coins? I'm hungry. Please, sir. Sir, sir, please, please. Out of my way, ah. you rat. Sheba, Otba, I just won the greatest game of dice in my life. Look at all this silver. <laughs> you never win a game. Were you wearing a luck charm? Luck? Ha! No, sir. I just cheated those Hoazin losers. Come on, drinks are on me. But a distance away from the Kaaba and Soups was one particular store that stood out from the rest of the city. Off in the farthest reaches of the market, one could see a vast green canopy of silk. It was an unmistakable indicator of one of the most successful businesses in the city. A hundred feet away from the shop, a line of shoppers and traders queued up all eager to buy and trade under the green canopy, where a long booth of workers were busy exchanging goods, merchandise, and various Roman and Persian coins. This particular shop was the size of a small market in its own right. Leading the employees was a young, dark-skinned man with curly hair who seemed to juggle several transactions at once. Wrap that up and load it on the camel. Yes, how can I help you? Fifty dirhams for that one. I'll discount it for you if you buy another. Sir, sir, that's not for sale. Hind, help out those ladies over there, will you? A wealthy merchant wearing elegant clothes stopped by. He looked at the store in wonder, admiring the canopy, and looking at the young worker in amusement. My, my, you certainly are a busy young man, aren't you? Do you come from a merchant clan? Welcome, sir. I am Zaid. Zaid ibn Muhammad. Can I interest you in anything? Everything here is interesting. I've never seen a shop such as this. I'm from Ta'if, I don't visit Mecca too often. But I had to come out for this season, and I am glad I did. Damascus steel and local leather? Not bad deals at all. He gestured to his slave boy, who carried an assortment of swords, leather, and riding equipment. Zaid smiled. Yes, it's a very busy season for us. Excuse me. Oma Ayman! Can you please not leave the silver out like that? Is this your shop, Zayd ibn Muhammad? No, sir. This is Lady Khadija's business. The merchant raised an eyebrow. A woman, you say? Huh. You certainly do things differently in Mecca. A businesswoman? By Allah and his daughters. Very well, Zayd ibn Muhammad. Show me what this Lady Khadija has to offer. What do you seek? Well, I have a long journey ahead of me, so I could use a god of guidance. Something small. Perhaps one that goes around my neck. And I could use a new idol of Hubal. If you have a marble one, that would be best. Hubal is my second favorite god after Atlat, of course. And Zaid cut him off. I'm sorry, sir, but we do not sell such things here. Ah, so you're more into house idols? No, you misunderstand. We do not sell idols at all. None? Not even little date figures? Zaid gave a resolute shake of his head. The merchant frowned. Young man, if I were you, I'd be looking for new employment. Any sensible businessman would capitalize on being in the holy city, but the thoughtless woman running this shop doesn't seem to know what she's doing. 
If sure gods were of any use to you, they would have told you that that is not true Damascus steel. It's much too thin at the shaft. That saddle was sold to you broken, and I assume you bought that leather from Rabeya bin Khalaf, who most likely cheated you out of your money. Khadija's voice came from behind the curtain to Zaid's back. My lady, this is local-made camel leather. I'm afraid not. It is second-rate goat hide. Rabeya is rarely honest in his trades. I could offer you similar products at... The merchant stormed away from the green canopy with his face red, his slave boy at his heels. Lady Khadija emerged from behind the curtain and stood next to Zaid, who looked amused. Well, I suppose he didn't like your offer. She smiled sadly. I suppose not. No blame can be on him. I am, after all, a thoughtless woman. You have more honor and nobility than half these merchants. My second favorite god, he said. Could you imagine if Muhammad was here? At the mention of her husband's name, Khadija's smile widened. You would have given him all he owned if it meant he abandoned the idols. Khadija was a middle-aged woman with fair skin and kind eyes. She wore dark, maroon robes and a headscarf that covered her forehead and hair. She looked upon her business intently. Her children, family members, and employees were busy assisting customers along the storefront of her home. It wasn't the same without Muhammad, she thought. He always had a sincere kindness that made the business feel alive and welcoming. It's what made her store unique. Customers always felt that her husband genuinely wanted them to be happy. Once someone met Muhammad, they always returned. Any issues so far, Zaid? Besides our last angry customer, no. But I feel more people will ask about what gods are for sale. And since Muhammad isn't back yet... Yeah! Hey, woe to you, Ali! Did someone say Muhammad? Is he back? Get off my back, one! I'm not little. I'm a warrior. The Lion of Banu Hashim. Eight-year-old Ali slid off Zaid's back. He looked back and forth from him to Khadija. Aunt Khadija, is he back? Is he back from the cave? No, warrior, not yet. Why aren't you practicing your reading? Yes, Ali. Why don't you go learn to read? I'm already the best reader in the clan. When I grow up, I want to be a poet and a warrior. A poet and a warrior? You're very ambitious. All my sons are. Abu Talib approached Zaid, Khadija, and Ali, staff in hand. Abu Talib, a pleasure to see you. Princess of Quraysh. Bakhin Bakh, what a fruitful season it has been. Father! Ali ran to hug Abu Talib, who pushed him away. Now, now, Ali, you're a young man, and men do not hug. Ali's face fell. Muhammad hugs, though. Muhammad is different, Abu Talib admitted. Khadija, a word, if you please? Zaid, would you help Um Ayman with the falcon gloves over there? Ali, if you could practice your reading. Zaid gave a nod and left. Ali returned back to the home behind the storefront. Abu Talib turned to Khadija. I suppose Abu Qasim is up in the mountains, hmm? You know how he is at these festivals. The idols, the drinking, it, it bothers him. I know, I know. But I worry about him up there alone. If you could just tell me what he is doing, what he is looking for. Muhammad is seeking truth. He hasn't been himself these last months. He has always enjoyed time alone with Allah. But on a mountain? What disturbs you about the mountain? Abu Talib looked off towards the direction of Mount Hira, so many miles away from the city. Men see the world too clearly from a mountain. Allah is watching over your nephew, Abu Talib. 
as am I. I know. Do let me know when he returns. He will go to you first. He always does. None is more beloved to him than you. Khadija blushed. Ali peered from behind the curtain. Are you leaving, father? Yes. I am to attend the sacrifice to the goddess Uzza. Perhaps you can come too, Ali. You can see how we slaughter animals to our gods, just as our ancestors did. Ali grimaced. Um, no thanks. I want to practice reading. When Muhammad comes back, I want to show my skills. Very well, son. Do not give Auntie Khadija a hard time. Farewell, my lady. And thank you for teaching the boy how to read. I wish I had someone like you when I was younger. It is never too late, Abu Talib. Khadija replied pleasantly. As he turned and left with staff in hand, Ubay ibn Khalaf raced past them with the wealthy merchant from earlier following suit. You sold me fake leather, you scoundrel! Back off, buddy! I've never seen you before in my entire life! In the darkness of dusk, a procession of tribesmen marched through the streets, their flickering torches illuminating the now-closed souks of Mecca. They arrived at a dark valley right outside the city. The leader of the ensemble handed his torch to another and picked up an infant from a trembling woman. He held the baby girl, his own baby girl. Though she was still alive, this procession was her funeral. Oh Allah, a gift from the Tamim tribe. Please, no. Please reconsider. To you and all the other gods. Please, she is my daughter. We ask that you accept this sacrifice. Please, she is my only girl. Please, she is my only girl. We ask that you take this female Stop. and turn her I to an my mind. One of your noble daughters, Allah. Stop, I changed my mind. Silence, you worthless woman. We ask in the name of the gods to take this female and grant the Tamim tribe with a strong male instead. Amin. The men began to dig a grave. The man placed the crying infant in the hole, and the men began to fill it. No, please, my little girl, please. My baby, no, please. The light from the torches appeared as tiny flickering stars at Khadija's house. She watched solemnly by candlelight. She knew what was happening. It made her blood boil. She could hear the screams of the poor woman who was losing her child before her very eyes. Oh Allah, guide these ignorant people. They are so lost. Zaid appeared next to her, hauling several bags of coins. That's the last of them. All scaled and accounted for. Allah was kind to us today. Khadija did not turn around. Zayd understood. Girl burials were tough to watch. They were one of the reasons Muhammad did not like these festivals. I thank you for your help today, Zayd. You did an excellent job. My excellence was a result of yours. Is Father returning tonight? 
I do not know. I might meet him tomorrow morning with another water skin, if he does not. Very well. Farewell, mother. Zaid, take your wage with you. No, no. We're family. It's not- No, Zaid, take your wage. You worked hard and deserve compensation. It's really not- Muhammad would want you to have it. You need to start raising money for a family. You think any woman would take a dark-skinned Mawla like me? Hmm. Few women deserve you, Zaid. But not because you are dark-skinned or a Mawla. <laughs> Good luck with tonight. Khadija nodded. As Zaid left with coin bag in hand, she turned back in the direction of the girl burial. The torches had moved on. She sighed. That could mean only one thing. The baby was dead pointlessly sacrificed to statues. She remembered the merchant's remarks when he heard she was the business owner. A woman. A businesswoman. Even though her caravan equaled all the caravans of Mecca combined, the most astounding thing to people was that she was female. That she had grown a business on her own. That her parents had not thrown her in a ditch when she was an infant and buried her alive. She walked under the green pavilion above her storefront and to the back of her storage area. She carried the remaining bags of coins over her shoulders until she reached the back side of her house. She set aside the bags. A dark-skinned African woman with an orange headscarf sat on the cushions to a corner of the room. Um, Ayman, will you help me with these? I am an old woman. I can't carry these things like I used to. We're the same age, Um, Ayman. Ali peered through the threshold, barefoot and looking sleepy his small frame barely bigger than the merchandise that lined the walls. I can help Aunt Khadija. Um Ayman said something in Abyssinian that neither Khadija nor Ali understood. Mohammed is raising him correctly. Ali helped Khadija haul the heavy bag towards the far window. Khadija pulled away the curtains to reveal a small crowd of people standing outside the back end of their home. There were old folk, orphans, homeless people, slaves and travelers. Khadija gave a bright smile to the crowd and leaned against the windowsill, opening her arms wide to the people. Welcome all. I apologize this took so long. Please, one at a time. The destitute and the needy gathered eagerly at the window, eyes hungry. First came a blind man. Blessings of Allah upon you, Tahira. And upon you, son of a Maktoum. Ali handed him some dirhams and a parcel of food. Next, an orphan boy. I'm sorry, Tahira. I begged at the Kaaba all day. Everyone gave their money to the idols. No worry, child. You can come each and every day if you need. Then a slave who wore nothing but a loincloth. My master whipped me today. He shows no mercy, Tahira. One by one they came with their grievances. Some had debts. Others were trying to afford dowries for marriage. Most were simply hungry. Assisted by Ali bin Abi Talib and Um Ayman, Khadija emptied out her inventory, food supplies, and all the profit she made that day. They called her Tahira, the pure one. That was what she was known for. The green pavilion of silk was a flag that called out to the forlorn of Mecca, a beacon of hope in a brutal world. Thank you so much, Tahira. Give my greetings to Abu Qasim when he returns. Your husband is a remarkable man. I will. Be safe. Her cheerful response masked the pain she felt underneath at the mention of Muhammad. Finally, at the end of the line was a merchant she recognized from earlier. This one is the one who walked away? Um Ayman pouted. He approached the window, embarrassed. I, uh, 
I pawned my camel for a transaction, and, well, the man took it and ran off. I don't have any other mount to get back home. I even sold my slave, but Khadija turned to Ali. Can you get a camel for our guest, Ali? Ali turned and left. The merchant looked perplexed. I, I don't really have any money with me right now. You can pay for it any time you return, sir. The important thing is you get home safely. The merchant took hold of the reins of the camel Ali returned with. He stared in wonder from the camel to Khadija. You... you certainly do things differently in Mecca. Thank you. The curtains were closed. The candles were put out. The household of Muhammad was winding down for the night. Um Ayman to her quarters. Ali reluctantly to his cot. Khadija's children exhausted from the day's work which left the princess of Mecca alone in her living room. She sat on her bed cushions with her knees to her chest. She imagined her husband sitting next to her, holding her hands in his own as he always did when they sat together. The house was quiet and calm. She used this piece to supplicate to Allah. She imagined Muhammad was doing the same in the cave of Hira. How she missed him. She remembered the conversation she had had with Abu Talib. People were beginning to worry about her husband. He had once sat in the cave for nearly a month. Some of the women in the city had taunted her. Imagine a husband so fed up with his wife that he would abandon her to sleep in a cave for a whole month. She never responded to such insults, but they cut deep nonetheless. Oh Allah, bring peace to my love. Bring tranquility to his heart. When she finished her prayer, she decided that she would bring him water the next morning. His water skin was probably only going to last him three days, and it was Monday already. She stood up and approached the house water jug. She took an empty water skin, a sheep bladder, and began to fill it with water. Sleep was beginning to take hold of Khadija as she filled the water skin. But any fatigue she felt was immediately forced out of her when suddenly... The boy sat at the riverbank. One by one, he removed the little idols from the bag and dropped them in the flowing water. Ishtar, Gilgamesh, Nabu, sun gods, moon gods, and planet gods, each helpless in the torrent of water. The boy watched the idols intently. Come on, save yourselves. But the little statues only sank to the bottom of the river he knew his father would beat him for not delivering the idols to the customers, but it was worth it. He had to be sure. You are not really gods, are you? He muttered as the last idol sank. The boy stood up and walked back in the direction of his home. In that moment, only one thing dominated Ibrahim's mind. If none of these idols were his god, who was?